Adley and Brody are um, lowering the median age of the people up on the stage. Thank you guys for your help. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Christ Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help me by your grace and your spirit to make clear the words of this eternal word. And may you write this eternal word on our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen, if you're a sports fan, and I know that's not everybody in the room, so pardon this brief interruption. But if you are a sports fan, you, you know that every modern list of records and champions often contain names of people or teams which are designated beside their name with an asterisk. An asterisk beside someone's name on any kind of list, be it sports or otherwise, is meant to direct the reader to a footnote so as to to let the reader know that there's more to the story, right? Take, for instance, the National Basketball Association, the NBA, the NBA Championship Tournament of 2020, which was played in what they referred to as the bubble. The players and teams in that tournament were secluded from family and friends, and all the players, all the teams, were kept in isolation um, so as, as best that they could, uh, to prevent any type of exposure or outbreak of, maybe you heard about this or not, but COVID, um, thing that came around in the uh, 2020. Now, the LA Lakers won the championship that year, but the tournament was so unique that many people argued that the Lakers' name in a list of all the champions of the NBA should have an asterisk beside, asterisk beside it to force you to ask the question what was unique? I mean, tennis player Serena Williams, about that very year, 2020, said that the whole of 2020 deserves an asterisk. Maybe you feel the same. 
My introduction, which I've just kind of opened up with, is, has nothing to do with 2020. But it has everything to do with the asterisk. If Matthew chapter 1 was written today, which I just read from, the list of the genealogy of Jesus would more than likely have an asterisk beside one of the men mentioned. The genealogy itself is divided up into three groupings, each group containing 14 generations that span from Abraham at the very beginning of the first one to Jesus, the last of the third one. Each grouping is a recording of the fathers and their sons. For instance, it opens up with, and Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. It's good for us to remember, however, when we look at the genealogy, and we're just doing so briefly as an intro here this morning, that the genealogy is more than just record-keeping. It's the record of God's keeping of his promises. Now, the record is not without names of women. Scattered throughout, you'll find them, and each of them um, have their own significance, which we can talk about at another time. But the names of women are listed in tandem with the father of the son. It is until it isn't. The last son mentioned in the genealogy was Jesus, who was not connected to his father in the genealogy like every other son mentioned in the entirety of the genealogy, but to his mother, Mary. It would be her husband, Joseph, who, if Matthew 1 was written today, might very well warrant an asterisk. Now, you and I don't have to read a footnote after the genealogy to learn more of the story. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, is given in the very next passage, the passage that I just read The story, however, that I just read and that we're about to talk about is not about Joseph, nor is it about the angel. It is about Jesus, and it is about the way that Jesus came to dwell among us so that he could be qualified and acceptable as a sacrifice. Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human, and he came to save his people from their sins. And that's what we get in this story and narrative that we've just looked at and now we're going to talk about. Put your attention to verses 18 and 19, and I did not get an outline to Xander this morning, so I'll try to feed you the outline um, audibly as we try to do visually each week. But number one, Joseph was faced with a dilemma. Joseph was faced with a dilemma. If you're one of those note takers that kind of gets all tied up when you miss a point, um, let me give you uh, the one that'll go directly beneath that, letter A, if you will. 
First century betrothals. First century betrothals. As you saw in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now I have tons of memories of Thanksgiving dinners that our family would spend in Knoxville at my grandparents' house. We'd be surrounded by all of our cousins. We would spend the day eating well, um, romping through the woods, playing football in the field that I thought was ginormous, but I'm sure it was just a little tiny piece of grass out there, but we played all the time. And my memories are flooded with those Thanksgiving days. There is one Thanksgiving day, however, that stands out more than any of them, and that's the year that Shan, my then-girlfriend, went with us. After we had visited with all my cousins, and we had eaten a meal, and we'd probably thrown the football or something, Shan and I made our way over to Gatlinburg um, and went ice skating. And there on the ice... I placed an engagement ring upon her finger and we made our engagement official. There were no friends hiding behind the walls with cameras and no social media posts, but nonetheless, I think 34 years later, 33 plus years later, we became official that day on the ice. Things are different now than they were different than they were in Joseph and Mary's day. Shannon and I became engaged that day, but there was not a legal binding contract behind our engagement. In Joseph and Mary's day, once you were engaged, you were legally bound. To call off an engagement was equivalent to a divorce. I mean, the arrangement would have been made by the parents, and contracts would have actually been involved. And, and once the arrangements were made, the woman would enter into a one-year waiting period in her parents' home to ensure her purity. Joseph and Mary were betrothed. That's, the, that's kind of the technical name that our version gives us for this binding contract, right? They had, pardon this, but... They had not slept with each other, but Mary's stomach began to show signs that she had not actually remained pure. At least that would have been the only conclusion that one named Joseph could have possibly reached. So we read these words. Before they came together, physically as well as in his home this, during this one-year period, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. When you and I read that, you and I land on the words from the Holy Spirit. And we say, thanks be to God. He came in the way he came so he could be qualified and acceptable as a sacrifice for us. But if, like you, might be the recipient of bad news or news nonetheless on the telephone, you hear a word and that's all you hear because it sets your mind down racing, right? So more than likely... Joseph doesn't hear, see, think about anything other than before they came together. She was found to be with child. And as a result, all Joseph could see was disgrace 
and infidelity, impurity, betrayal, and a decision that had to be made. But Joseph, here's your second letter, B, was a first-rate guy. First-rate guy. Notice what our passage says. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we read that Joseph was a just man. Other versions that you're carrying in this room or reading at home could have the language, he was a righteous man. Joseph's sense of justice would not allow him to enter into a defiled marriage, but his righteousness would not allow him to force Mary to bear up under the full weight of the custom of the law. So he resolved in his heart while he's pondering all these things, this this period of engagement, betrothal has begun, and she now is with child, and he's thinking through, what do I do? What do I do? And he resolved in his heart to issue her a certificate of divorce quietly, the text says, and not have her disgraced any further or worse, not have her stoned, which was totally within her legal rights um, of the day. Now, while he thought everything through. Major point number two. Joseph was visited in a dream. Notice what verse 20 says. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now note this, because the unnamed angel addressed Joseph as son of David, which reminds us, as Matthew's genealogy has made clear, that Joseph is in the line of King David. Jesus would be born of the line of David, but he would not be born from the loins or the flesh of David. In his commentary on Matthew, Pastor Daniel Doriani writes this, and I just want to share it with you in its entirety um, for actually time's sake. This will help me. I hope it helps you. The promises to David's line showed that Israel needed a mighty deliverer and a a great and fearless king a warrior to battle foes, and a man who loved God and his people more than life itself. Yet, the history of Israel had been a sad tale of failed kings following failed kings. Human flesh could not deliver God's people. They needed something different, a.k.a. something Unique. Joseph was told, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. In essence, Joseph was being told that which we are told. Do not fear to obey God. Do not fear to trust God and to believe his word. Do not fear, practically, 
to take Mary regardless of the way things appear, regardless of the way things are, regardless of what people are going to say in respect to who you have taken into your home. Let me point backwards to the Old Testament, if you will. Centuries early, earlier, a king by the name of Ahaz. King Ahaz was a wicked king, and he was facing threats from nations all around him. But instead of seeking God's help for deliverance, he resolved in his own heart to turn to the pagan king of Assyria. The prophet Isaiah, where we read of this, the prophet Isaiah told King Ahaz that God would deliver his people. God will deliver the people, he told King Ahaz. He told him this. This could be a great bumper sticker. He told him to take care, be calm, and have no fear. God even went so far as to provide a sign for him that would serve as a guarantee that the people of God and specifically to our point this morning, the line of David would be preserved and the people would be saved. As the story goes, King Ahaz Ahaz does not listen to that counsel. He listens to bad counsel. He takes bad advice, makes an alliance with a foreign land and receives the just due and punishment for his decision. We'll come back to that in just a second. Let's get back to Joseph's dream because first thing to write down under number two, things aren't as they seem. Things aren't as they seem. Notice what the angel tells Joseph in this story. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now think through this with me, if you would, and and just kind of see the the majesty of miracle here. Because with Mary's purity intact, the child formed in her is the result of the power of the Holy Spirit. The miracle is in the conception. Back in verse 18, right? Matthew introduced the story by saying, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I've tried to accentuate the word birth so you would land there. The word birth is transliterated with the word genesis, which means origin. The first book of the New Testament then takes us back to the first book of the scriptures. In Genesis, the Spirit of God brought life to man. And now in Matthew, we see how the Spirit brought life to the Messiah. He would be born fully human, all the while remaining fully divine, fully God. Now because of his humanity, he could be a lot of things. He could be our representative for obedience. In other words... He lived his life without sin, that which we were to do but could not do as a result of our inherited sin nature. He could step in as our acceptable substitute for sacrifice. He could, because of his humanity, serve the role as our mediator 
between us and the radiant holiness of God. And he could, because of his humanity, serve as our high priest, not as one totally detached, but one that could sympathize with our weaknesses, having gone through what we've gone through and been confronted with the same types of temptations we are yet without sin. He could be and was the fulfillment of God's original purpose for man, which was to rule over all creation. And he indeed is and will continue to for the rest of eternity. That's his humanity. Now, because of his divinity, he would be strong enough to defeat defeat the power of hell once and for all. Now, mankind was and remains totally incapable of bringing about our own salvation. In and of ourselves, we have no resources. Catch this. In and of ourselves, we have no resources to take care of our greatest problem, which was sin. William Tyndale, and if you'll allow me to paraphrase, um, quoted or, or, or said this about our resources and what we bring to the table in relation to our need for salvation. So here's William Tyndale, what he said. He's one of the great reformers, um, and his words are these. The only thing that we have brought to secure to the table Thus the paraphrase. So the only thing that we brought to the table to secure our salvation was the sin which made it necessary. But God, who being rich in mercy and limitless in power, he has the resource. And what Matthew 1, 18 to 25 tells us is the resource is a person. So think about this. Just after Adam's original sin and the the avalanche of shame and guilt and death rolled over him, Eve, and all of his descendants, just after that took place, God made a promise that he would keep in Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promised to raise up a seed. In other words, a, a unique singular offspring who would crush the head of Satan. And the angel is announcing that that seed is about to be born. And he's communicating this to Joseph in this dream. Your second little point under number two is this. The child Mary would bear, would bear the world's sin. The child Mary would bear, would bear the world's sin. And that's what the angel tells Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall ne- call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, tells us how this would happen. We could have gone anywhere in the New Testament for an example of how this would come about. But here's what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2. He wrote, And you, 
all of us, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, not all of us. I must, I, I realized that when I said not all, forgive me, when I said all of us, I'm not espousing a universalism. It is true that all of us were born in sin. But those of us who will reap the benefits of oneness with Christ are those who by faith place our trust in Jesus. So don't let me confuse you with that. I, I caught myself saying that and I wanted to make that correction. So here's what he said. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What gave him the right to do that? Well, he took that list of demands upon himself. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. Because the good news of the gospel is that it makes all things new in Christ. He takes our rebellion and he dresses us. He clothes us in his righteousness. He takes our sin and he brings salvation. Thus, as the angel told Joseph, his name is to be called. He is to be called Jesus, which means Savior. Letter C under number two. I think it's the final one I have to tell you about. Is Mary's miraculous conception fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy? Notice what we read next in our passage. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And here we're reaching back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So earlier I shared with you about King Ahaz, who refused to trust God. And in spite of his rebellion, a characteristic of all of David's line, earthly line after him, God gave him a sign, and the angel connected the dots with Joseph. Matthew is helping us connect the dots in this discussion, pointing him back to that sign given hundreds of years earlier, which is now being fulfilled in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. As God was faithful to his word then, you and I can trust that he remains faithful to his word Today, God is altogether other than us. So do you get that? He is, he is transcendent. He is, he is holy, set apart. He is altogether other than those that he created. He is transcendent over us, yet he is present with us through his son Jesus. And as you fast forward through the Christmas story, the virgin did conceive. She did bear a son. The birthing was natural. The conception was supernatural. 
making possible God being present with us. Notice the last couple verses of chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I was listening to a sermon by Sinclair Ferguson this week, and I was introduced actually to a song that he sang as a child in Sunday school. He, in this sermon, he, he said, I don't believe I've thought about this song in the better part of 45 years. And it was a song I've never heard before. But the words of the verse, the words of the song are extremely appropriate and applicable to what we've just read. And I want to plant them in your minds for a moment. Song went like this as I read it. He did not come to judge the world. He did not come to blame. He did not only come to seek. It was to save he came. And when we call him Savior, and when we call him Savior, and when we call him Savior, then we call him by his name. Probably every one of us, when we opened up our passage to Matthew 1 this morning, we could have told each other what the name Jesus means, that it means Savior. But far more important than knowing what it means is to know him. The angel instructed Joseph to call him Savior. But when you call upon him as Savior, it is then that you become a recipient of the grace that he came here to bestow. The angel told Joseph, call him Savior. But when you call upon him as Savior, You're saved and adopted into his family as children. And I would implore you, implore you, forgive me. If you're not saved and you're in the hearing of my voice, consider the righteousness of Joseph. He's a good guy. He's a just guy. But he still needed to respond in obedience to to surrender to what was being instructed and asked of him. And I'm mindful that many of us can be good, just, and righteous. Know the definitions of Jesus' name. And even call him that, having never called upon him. And I would ask you, don't let that be you today. Call upon Jesus to be saved. And for those of you, myself included, in this room, who are believers You've trusted by Christ in faith. You're, you're walking a path in obedience to him um, or with him, although you're a weary believer this morning. Can I remind you that the transcendent is present in Jesus and come to him. Come one, come all. And celebrate his presence among us. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the gospel. I want to thank you for the way that you have made possible how a rebellious people, us, could be saved. And you did so in the only way which was, would have been unimaginable to anyone. You decided to have your son enter into our space as a dependent. You spoke to the one who would be his adopted father. And you connected the dots in keeping with your eternal promises between Joseph and Mary and their line of descendancy under the king. So that Jesus, who would be sinless throughout his life, could step in in his humanity as our substitute and in his divinity be strong enough to conquer sin, death, and the grave. I want to thank you that your double name, the Savior, who is present, God with us, is as applicable today for those who are calling upon you for salvation and those weary believers who are calling upon you for your grace and presence to abound. That it causes our hearts to worship and exalt you. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the unlikely way in which he came. But Lord, thank you for, in the manner that he came, it enabled him to step in as our substitute. So we worship him. And we respond to you as Joseph did in obedience, faith, and trust, believing that your promises are true. In Jesus' name, amen.